Um, did you guys hear about the new restaurant on the moon? Don't get too, yeah, don't get too excited. The, the food is great, but there's just no atmosphere. <laughs> no atmosphere at all. All right. Hey, 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 thank you, thank you. All right, we're just going to tell jokes today. All right, grab your Bibles. Uh, if you want a place to land, Genesis chapter 1, just at the beginning, if you don't know. Genesis 1 and Deuteronomy chapter 22 are places we're going we're gonna to land. Uh, today we are continuing our series on faith and sexuality, the intersect of faith and sexuality. Um, we'll be talking about this this weekend and probably next weekend. And then in August, we're gonna, we'll kick off a new series in the month of August. So look forward to that. Um, this morning, uh, buckle up because here we go. Uh, this morning, I want to uh, take some time and I want to talk about and address the uh, cultural phenomenon that we are seeing around gender, gender confusion, gender questioning, people identifying as something other than their biological gender. I want, uh, allow me uh, to take a minute to establish why I believe it is a cultural phenomenon, a social phenomenon, and not something that represents what has actually always existed underneath, but hasn't had an opportunity to, um, to surface. Um, go ahead and put up that, that first uh, graph um, that we have. Okay, so this, this graph is um, it's, uh, the number of young people referred to a UK uh, trans, uh, transgender services over time in the, in the United Kingdom. And um, it, you can't see at the bottom of the, of the thing, you can't see the dates, but it goes from 2009 up to, I believe it's 2016. And so you see over the period of years that the, the number of people who were seeking uh, transgender services over time was basically close to zero before 2009. It was certainly below 1% and now has skyrocketed. How many know that is a staggering graph that's happened over the course of time? Predominantly, adolescent females dominate the number of people who are seeking uh, transgender uh, um, help and those kind of things. And so this is the UK, but this is also representative if you look at other graphs, um, and be, because this actually hasn't been studied that well, but this is actually representative of really any Western country. If you look at any Western country, you see kind of a hockey stick um, statistic where it's kind of flat and then all of a sudden it just shoots up out of nowhere um, at the end. Prior to 2009, the percentage of people who were questioning their gender, gender confused, was much less. In fact, I would say it's, it was much less than 1% at one point. So, from, and from what I've seen from the numbers uh, as of recently, the, those who identify as something other than their biological sex, I think it's um, uh, the Lambert County um, School District, it's like at least one in four students are identifying as something other than their biological sex. That's a staggering number. Now, not all of them are like full trans or anything like that. Many of them are just like, boy, girl, yeah, I'll be non-binary. I'll just be, you know, gender fluid or whatever it is. And so, so what's happening? Um, why has there been a tsunami of gender confusions? Perhaps, uh, perhaps more importantly, how do we as Christians, how do we as individuals respond? How do we pray? How do we, how do we react? Okay. Um, so I want to talk about what's happening, why you should care, 
and how do we respond? Now, before I get into the reasons for this, I'm going to give you three reasons today why you should care and how we should respond. Um, I want to give a few, um, I wouldn't call them disclaimers. I'll just say they're considerations. So disclaimer number, uh, uh, consideration number one, I do want to acknowledge that there has always been a very, very small percentage of the population that have struggled, genuinely struggled with gender dysphoria. What is gender dysphoria? Gender dysphoria, historically speaking, has, is, is a person who has an intense loathing and discomfort or, or perhaps even disgust for their own biological sex. That's historically speaking what that, that has been. This number of people relative to the population has been somewhere between 1 in 30,000 people to 1 in 110,000 people. So we're talking much less than 1% of the population historically. Now, I don't envy someone who genuinely wakes up in the morning and has a genuine uh, loathing and discomfort for the body that they were born in, okay? I don't envy someone in that that position, and um, I feel feel compassion for someone who was born in that boat. as a pastor, I do believe that if, if, if someone is in that um, condition, that, that, um, that, that condition, and they genuinely want to pursue a relationship with Jesus, as a pastor, I do believe there are some um, biblical things I could speak to them, some encouragement I could give to them, but I don't want to assume in a one-way sermon like this, you're going to get to the bottom of everything that's going on in the inside of that person, okay? So I just want to make that as a blanket statement. Um, I'm going to say some things I think that are true and that we can all benefit from, but I just want to acknowledge that historically speaking, there have been um, a very small percentage of the population um, that have genuinely felt this way. Um, What we are seeing today on a large scale is not exactly what we've seen in the past, um, historically speaking, gender, dys, uh, gender dysphoria has been a rare psychological condition that has affected about two, two males to every one female. This is historically what we've seen. And today, the inverse is true. Now we're seeing about two females to every one male, particularly adolescent females that are uh, particularly uh, susceptible to what's happening. Okay, so this is not historically what we've seen. Um, the second thing that, that we can, the second reason why we can point to what's happening and, and uh, see indications that it's not exactly what we've seen before is that there seems to be uh, different regions where this is manifesting differently. For example, if, if this was a condition of, of the human population, it should be homogenous across, across the board. But you see there's Western countries that seem to be particularly dealing with this. There's parts of the country that are dealing with this and other parts of the country where it's not really happening. Well, what's up with that, right? Okay, so either Ohio is shaming and not allowing them to happen or California is creating them, one of the two, okay? Because this is, they're totally disproportionately happening. So it's regional, it seems to be regional and um, it seems to be affecting adolescent females at a much higher rate. So that's kind of my first distinction I want to make. The second distinction I want to say is that, and I want to place this within a separate category as well, is that is those extreme rare cases of those who are genuinely born with gender ambiguity. That is this, that they were born with a deformity in their reproductive organs and their genitalia, or they have a uh, genetic disorder. Once again, I, I've, I've talked with some pastors. I've never personally dealt with 
uh, someone in that condition, but I've talked with pastors and even recently talked with pastors who have um, been brought in as counsel for families and along with other doctors and medical professionals have, have talked about how to raise a child who was born with gender ambiguity. Again, those are very rare cases and um, immensely complicated situations that you and I should have tons of compassion for. Okay, so that's the second subcategory I just want to set aside. The third one is this. The third uh, distinction I want to make is that regardless of whether someone has uh, struggled with um, historical gender dysphoria or it's a part of a cultural wave that is happening now, we want to be careful not to sweep anyone's story under the rug and just disregard what's going on in their lives. Okay, every person has a story. And uh, we want to be able to, um, regardless of what someone's going through, we want to be able to sit down with them, listen to their story, and not just sweep what's going on on the inside under the rug. But with that, um, I want to talk about what we are seeing in culture manifest today. In many cases, instead of historical gender dysphoria, what we are seeing is a new phenomenon. And they coined a phrase for this new phenomenon, which is, rapid onset gender dysphoria. That is this. Someone who has not previously had grown up or shown signs of being uncomfortable in their own skin, being uncomfortable in their body, but then over the, a very short period of time uh, made, a, made a decision that they all of a sudden um, they decide they're trans or non-binary or something, okay? Um, this seems to be a cultural phenomenon called rapid onset gender dysphoria. I want to play a quick um, video of a testimony, which um, of a, a video testimony of, of a girl um, being interviewed. And she, this is a girl who was born female, didn't have gender dysphoria, uh, became trans, became uh, identified as a man, and then and then detransitioned um, over time. And she wants and she talks about her story. So go ahead and roll that video. Yeah, so I think it's a shame that rapid onset, gen like this idea of rapid onset gender dysphoria is so controversial because the first time I looked at this study, this was after I'd already detransitioned, um, meaning that I stopped my trans identity, um, I actually thought that it really resembled everything that the study found, like the high rates of uh, depression, anxiety, self-harm. I found that that really reflected my experience and the experience of so many young people people that I'd known both in high school and in college. Um, so I, I think it's very accurate. And when I look back on myself as a child, um, I wasn't really a tomboy. I didn't have any gender dysphoria as a child. Um, I looked forward to wearing dresses. I liked getting little makeup kits for Christmas and stuff. So there was no real indication that I would ever grow up to identify as trans or want to become a boy. Um, and it all happened very, very rapidly around the time I was 15. And when I look back on that, I see the roots in me joining online communities, particularly Tumblr, um, and kind of distancing myself from friends in real life and peers in real life, and just kind of getting really embroiled in this community online where everything was about social justice, everything was about gender all the time. And there was these hierarchical ways of looking at people. Like it was bad to be a cis 
not trans, straight white girl. And that's what I was. I was a straight white girl. And I felt that that was very bad at the time being in these communities. So eventually that combined with my mental health issues, I had a lot of body image issues. Um, I was very socially self-conscious. Um, that all kind of combined together and resulted in me originally identifying as non-binary, but over the course of a few years, it kind of just snowballed into full-on trans. So the whole, the whole idea of, of social contagion, that there could be something, something in one's social environment that could play some role in somebody coming out identifying as trans, would you say that that is definitely part of your story? Absolutely. And without um, a doubt. Yeah, without a doubt. When I look back, I don't think I would have ever even considered in seeing myself as a boy without these social aspects, um, especially if I hadn't joined these online communities specifically because there wasn't anything at the time really in my school or in my community that was influencing me. It was all this online stuff. And actually, um, I have gone back and looked at my Tumblr account. There's a way where you can look back and look at the archive of all of your posts. Um, and I did find that there was literally a period of a few weeks to a few months where before the beginning of this period, there was nothing about gender. And then this period of a few months, you can just see me talking about gender more and more and more. I started out as an ally, and then eventually, over just the course of a few weeks to a few months, maybe two months at most, I was already starting to identify as transgender. So very rapid, very socially influenced. Would you? Okay, so that's your story. Now, yeah. I, and I'm, you're probably hesitant speaking on behalf of others, but did you have other yeah. friends or... Do you know others that would very much share your trajectory? Yes, this was very common in my peers. Um, I had a few friends in high school. My best friend identified as trans. My other best friend identified as trans. Um, one of my other very close friends identified as trans. And they've all since detransitioned or desisted. Um, so this was very common. I had a lot of friends in high school. And then online, um, just looking back on it, it was the same pattern. Just kids who were really struggling. Kids who were very alone and isolated. Maybe they didn't have a welcoming family life. Um, they just got caught up in these communities online and just started um, interpreting their emotional pain through this same lens together. That that whole video is a really powerful testimony that you can go uh, YouTube, go to YouTube and watch. It's a Preston uh, Sprinkle and Helena Cressinger. But basically, in summary, in large part, what we are seeing today uh, is fueled by peer pressure, social media, and a legitimate need for validation. Again, I don't want to sweep anyone's rug, uh, rug under the story. I did that last service too. I don't want to sweep anyone's story under the rug. But generally speaking, these are the main drivers of what we're seeing happen in this country and in the Western world. Um, in other words, it's a fad that is pseudo-meeting needs that people have, pseudo-meeting voids that they have. How many know that in the past, every generation um, has had fads? Many of those fads, many of those um, trends um, include an element of rebelling against parents and against social normatives, right? I don't know, like in the 80s, y'all did your hair weird and listened to music, right? Right. Every generation has, has had an element of rebelling against authority, rebelling against parents, and, and, and growing in autonomy and those kind of things. But here's the, here's the deal. The strange difference that we see today with, with this thing 
is that our educational institutions, the government and the media, they don't seem to like, no one's pushing back on this at all. And so many teachers, employers, parents, they're like afraid to speak up because they don't want to be labeled as um, a bigot. They they don't want to be labeled as transphobic or homophobic or anything like that. And so there's not many people are pushing back on it. And there's no ability on the behalf of leaders to kind of say, hey, maybe this is uh, getting a little out of control and we should push back on this a, li- a little bit. Okay, so why should we care? You're like, Pastor Kurt, okay, are you preaching about this? Who cares? Let, let them dress however they want. Let, let the girls dress like boys, boys like girls. What, what difference does it make? And what do you care, Pastor Kurt, um, if a girl dressed like a boy and a boy like a girl? Um, I'm glad you asked, and I want to give you three reasons why I think it's important that you do care. Now, before I say that, I just want to say, this is a free country. I'm not trying to take anyone's rights away from them, and if you're an adult and and you want to do your thing, like, hey, if you protect my right to have freedom of religion, freedom of speech, and right to bear arms, I'm I'm for you doing you. Okay, even even if I disagree with it, even if I disagree with your lifestyle, I'm I'm uh, pro-freedom. But why should you care? And I, I do believe there are good reasons for this. What difference does it make? Why should we care? I'm glad you asked. Number one, why should you care? Um, you should care because many of these young people are doing irreversible damage to their bodies. This is a big deal that you should care about. Um, how many know that puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and especially surgery are very problematic. You can't undo some of the things that these young people are doing to their bodies, and someone should care about that. It should disturb you that young women are cutting off their breasts. They're getting double mastectomies. They're cutting things off, and it should disturb you that young men are, are you know, castrating themselves through surgery or chemically, uh, um, or through hormones and different things, castrating themselves um, through, through different hormones. Um, this is a trend that many of these young people are going to wake up from and realize, I didn't want to be a boy after all, and now I can't have children. Now I have infertility issues. Okay, This is why we need to come around and protect these young people and just pump the brakes you know, and, and protect these young people. Um, I think in about 10 years, there's going to be hell to pay because this younger generation is going to realize that we didn't stand up, we didn't protect them from this trend, because we are too scared to be labeled as transphobic or homophobic or whatever it is. And that's not the case at all, of course. But we, this is a, a trend that in many cases has irreversible damage. That girl that was in that interview that we just, uh, just played, she, she was on testosterone for a period of two years. Luckily, she has been able to recover from that pretty well. But that's not the case um, in every case. So that's reason number one that all of us should care about that. Reason number two why you should care is that people are being misdiagnosed. Many gender-confused young people are being misdiagnosed because there are actually other underlying reason, other underlying reasons for what's going on. People are like, oh, you're trans. Well, let's just let you do that, and whatever other mental issues you have going on will obviously just fix themselves. Okay? Um, not so. There's um, not been many studies. There needs to be more studies on this, but um, there's one study in particular that was done, and I think this was a a study that was done very well, um, on the mental health issues among teens that that had rapid-onset gender dysphoria. And it says this, that 63% um, had a diagnosis of a psychiatric disorder 
or a neurodevelopment disorder. Okay, so a high percentage had other things going on. Go ahead and put up that slide. It also said this, that 48% experienced a traumatic or stressful event prior to their dysphoria. So almost half. 45% engaged in self-harm prior to their dysphoria. 15% um, were diagnosed with ADHD. 12% with OCD. 12% were on the autism spectrum. This number pops out to me, 12%, um, because my wife and I, we have a daughter with autism, so I know right away that the general population, um, about 1% of the general population has autism. Anytime you see a demographic that is 12% of autism, uh, there should be some things that we're noticing about that. And it also said in the study that 7% were bipolar, and the general population is 2.8%. So there's something going on here with mental health among these young people. Here's the really disturbing part. Only 28% of clinicians chose to explore any issues of mental health, previous trauma, or any alternative causes of the gender dysphoria prior to treatment and helping uh, uh, doing gender affirming treatment. How many of them, that's scary. You know, this person, this young person coming in, and how many of the young people always, they don't always have their heads on straight. How many of the, um, adolescence is very difficult. Like your body's changing, you're, 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 you don't have the ability to articulate what's going on the inside of you. Like adolescence is a very difficult time of people's life. They need, and, and adolescents need guidance through that period of time, don't they? So many clinicians are not even exploring other alternatives or mental health issues. I do want to highlight one condition that 100% of those who suffered from rapid onset gender dysphoria had. And I can say this with certainty because every human being suffers from this condition. Every human being suffers from the legitimate need for love, value, and acceptance, and the need to feel significant. Everyone needs that. And believe it or not, you will get that need met in one way or another. You can get that need met in a healthy manner, or you can get that need met in an unhealthy manner. How many know one of the best ways to get that need met is by being connected to our Father in Heaven, having a relationship with the Lord, being connected by, to a faith community? Love, value, and acceptance is something that every one of them need. But here's the temptation. I can immediately be validated by a community that accepts me, and my teachers will praise me. Do you understand the, the seductive nature for a young adolescent girl, for example, who doesn't fit in, feels awkward in her developing body, doesn't feel pretty, and is seeking validation? This is a, this is a very alluring and tempting um, phenomenon that we're seeing in our culture. So why should you care? Number one, a lot of these young people are doing irreversible damage to their bodies. Number two, Many of them are being misdiagnosed. Let me give you reason number three why you should care. Reason number three is this. Women's sports are being destroyed. Okay, women's sports are being destroyed. Here's the deal. Men and women are equally valuable in God's eyes. And we should equally value men and women regardless, right? But how many know that men and women are not equal in every respect? We're different. Like no matter how hard I try... I cannot grow a baby, right? Y'all women, you guys have a superpower. The superpower to grow a living being in your body, okay? I can't grow a baby, and my wife is not nearly as strong or as fast as me. Why? We're just different. Men and women are different. 
I don't care about the British baking show. <laughs> like my wife does. Hey, I got an amen over here. I do watch it and it makes me hungry, but I don't, <laughs> I don't want to do what they do. And no matter how hard my wife tries, she does not care about the speed of light and what that means with time and different things like that, right? Men and women are different, but here's the deal. This should be low-hanging fruit for us. Sports are a, um, this is low-hanging fruit. But let me ask a question. If, you, if you're not on board with me with the sports thing, if men and women don't differ in their physical ability, then why do we have men and men's and women's sports in the first place? Why don't we just put them all together? Let them play together and let the best ones rise to the top. Well, there's a reason why, though. Uh, there'd be a lot of men at the top. That's why. Okay. Um, here's the deal. Every feminist should be up in arms about this. Okay. Every, every woman who's... Listen, women have come a long ways, and they've worked hard to gain ground. And um, even having their own rights in sports is something that they had to fight for. And so these areas, bathrooms and women's sports, these are areas that need protected because women have fought for these places, okay? Young girls are getting ripped off and young men are cheating by competing uh, competing in women's sports. If you don't believe me, just go look at the, the world records for track and field. They're different, okay? So it's obvious that men and women are not created equally physically. That's why we have separate sports. When many women are working hard to shave off a second or two, jump a little further, throw a little farther, only to have a biological male come and beat them by a large margin. How many know our bone structures are different, our lung volumes are different, our hearts are different, our VO max capacities are different? Men and women are different. Okay, so those are three really good reasons. Irreversible damage is being done, people are being misdiagnosed, and women's sports are being destroyed. Now, what does the Bible say about sex and gender? How many know this was God's idea? We are God's idea. Like he made us, and he made sex, he made gender. Um, if you're a Christian, you should care. Okay, so did you find Genesis 1 yet? I told you at the beginning we were going to be there. You've had the whole time to find Genesis 1. It's at the beginning, Okay. Genesis 1, uh, 26 and 27. I love going back to God's original design because it instructs us on how, what, he, what he has intended. It says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind, that is humankind, in our image, or in, our, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God gave dominion to mankind. Um, he gave us delegated authority to uh, subdue and to rule on earth. And it says this in verse 27. So God created mankind, humankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Here's what I want to say about that. You were created, you and I were created in the likeness and image of our, of our God in heaven and part of God's expression of his divine nature is your gender identity. Part of God's expression of how, how he is, like, I'm, I'm a father. And how many know the way I father is a dim reflection of the way our father God is in heaven. 
Like, I'm, I'm not as good of a father as he is. And how many know if you're, if you're a mother, your, your feminine nature and the way you mother is a dim reflection of God's nurturing aspect to this world. Part of, part of the expression of God on earth actually is our gender identity. Okay? Um, Satan wants to steal part of a generation's ability to express the nature of God. Um, I was at a, a coffee shop in Denver recently, and there was a, a young man who was wearing a name tag, identifying as a female, dressing as a female. And like the Lord gave me like this prophetic picture for this person. And I saw this young man as a leader, leading a family, starting a business. And I'm like, gosh, you've created him, God, to do some amazing things. And he's totally believing this line, identifying as this other thing. But you've you, like you're, his created value is to do some amazing things in this world. Okay. You were created and, um, to do amazing things in this world. And part of that expression is being a man or being a woman. And listen, God doesn't mess up. God doesn't make mistakes. If you were born as a boy, you were destined to become a man. If you were born as a girl, you're destined to become a woman. So someone might object to that and say, Pastor Kurt, you keep saying sex and gender like they're the same thing. Like they're, they're, they're not. They're not the same thing. Sex is one thing, gender is another. Listen, I want to just tell you that idea that they're not synonymous was introduced into the universities several decades ago, and it's utter nonsense. It's complete nonsense. Sex and gender are the same thing, okay? Um, gender studies, that whole field of study is completely made up thing that has not been the case in the history of the world, okay? Um, I want to read um, an excerpt from our, our church's constitution and bylaws because a few years ago, we kind of saw where things were going. We're like, you know what? We should... We should hardwire some things in our constitution and bylaws about our faith, our tenets of faith and what we believe. And so we actually added a description of um, gender in our, in our constitution and bylaws. So this is um, a description of what we believe God's image expressed in gender. We believe that God wonderfully and immutably creates each person as male or female. These two distinct complementary genders together reflect the image and nature of God. The acceptance of one's biological sex is to acknowledge the image of God within oneself. The pursuit of knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior results in an increased ability to express godly masculinity um, and godly femininity in the way we live and relate to one another, thus giving glory to God. It glorifies God when you manifest who he created you to be. Part of who he created you to be is male or female. Perhaps not the most important part about you, but it is an important part about you. And, and how many know, like, God made, God made Rob a man. Why? Because God needed a man for the world. God made Leslie a woman. He needed a woman to, to manifest his, his nature to the world, his feminine nature to the world. <clears throat> so there are... Um, biological sex is a central part of our God-given identity. There are two genders. There's not a gender spectrum, and there's not gender fluidity. You can't go back and forth. This is one thing. You know, there are a lot of decisions we make in life. But this is one that got to be made for us. We didn't get to choose this, did we? God made this decision for us, and thank God for that. So think about something else. Okay. <laughs> Spend your time dealing with other things. There are so many other things you have to decide. Um, 
Now, yes, some men are less masculine and some women are less feminine, but that does not make you a different gender. If you're a girl that likes race cars, then guess what? You're a girl that likes race cars. If you're a girl that likes sports, you're a tomboy, you're, you're just a girl that likes sports. You don't have to question, am I something else? If you're a boy that likes the violin and art, then you're a boy that likes the violin and art. You're an artsy boy. That doesn't mean you've got to start questioning, I don't fit the stereotypical masculine model that the, the, the culture has come up with. That doesn't mean you need to start questioning things and think I'm something different than I am. Amen? I like King David because he's a manly man. King David, number one, he, he liked girls, maybe a little too much, right? Got him in trouble. But King David, he also wrote like poetry. And he, he's a musician. And in some, in some of the Psalms it talks about he, he's, he flooded his pillow with tears. And I'm like, David, calm down, you know. Why are you writing about this, you know? I've, I've flooded my, my pillow with tears. But yet at the same time, David's a giant killer. So this is a guy, listen, he, he's, he's a man's man, but he's also, you know, in, he's not toxic, you know. Okay, but here's the deal. God doesn't make mistakes. If you're born a boy, you're destined to be a man. If you're born a, girl, born a girl, you're destined to be a woman. Let me show you one more verse in the Bible, just talking about gender and gender identity. I've got maybe a couple more verses here. Uh, Deuteronomy 22.5 says this. This is uh, God's instruction to the children of Israel. He says this. A woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear women's clothing. For the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. Now, Pastor Kurt, isn't what we consider men's clothing and women's clothing a cultural construct? So God says... Don't, don't dress in men, uh, women's clothing if you're a man. Don't dress in man's clothing if you're a woman. Pastor Kerr, isn't that like a cultural construct? Isn't that a social construct? And I will say, obviously, styles change over time. But the question at heart for this verse is, the question at heart is your heart. Where is your heart at? Okay. Um, Paul tells the Corinthian church that a way a woman wears her hair is a reflection of God's order Therefore, a woman who cuts her hair to appear as a man or a man who wears his hair to appear as a woman is where the issue lies. There's nothing wrong for a man to have longer hair. There's nothing wrong for a woman to have shorter hair. The question is, are you, are you dressing or doing your hair in such a way where you're trying to appear as something that you're not created to be? It's the, issue, the, the issue at heart is your heart. The question is this. Are you rebelling against God's original design for you by trying to be something that he didn't create you to be? That is the question. Styles change. How, how many know, I don't know if you know this, but like um, George, George Washington, he's probably like the manliest man I could think of, you know. One of his suits was, was pink. Because back then it was like, okay, for guys to wear pink. Well, he's a manly man, and uh, he gets a pass. You know what I'm saying? And so styles, styles change over time for sure. But George Washington wasn't trying to look like a girl, right? Okay, so are you rebelling against God's original design by appearing different? There are some cultural and social constructs, but I want to say there do seem to be, and I, I could probably give many examples, I'm only going to give one today, there do seem to be some timeless attributes that convey feminism and uh, masculinity. I'll give you one example. 
How many of you ladies, you came to church today and in your purse, you brought a, you have a mirror. You have a mirror in your purse. How many ladies? Yeah, wave at me. Okay. You got a mirror with you. Okay. Lots of ladies. It's good. Let me ask you a question. How many, how many of you men, you brought a mirror with you to church? Any men out there bring a mirror with you to church? Okay. We've got mirrors in the bathroom, so... Okay, let me ask you a question. Is this a, I'm making a point, and there's many other things we could put under this category. Is this a cultural social construct, or is this behavior of having a mirror with you innate uh, behavior to the feminine experience? I submit to you that it is innate um, behavior to the feminine experience. Here's what, let me give you an example why. When God instructed the children of Israel, they're in the wilderness, they came out of Egypt, Across the Red Sea, they're in the wilderness. God instructed them to build something called the tabernacle. Everyone say tabernacle. I say taber. You say knackle. Taber. Taber. Okay. God said, build the tabernacle. What is the tabernacle? It's a weird word, but it's a place where he chose to, that his presence would dwell among his people. Right, and they, they had to, there was it had to be very specifically built. There were sacrifices involved. This is before the cross. Thank God for the cross. And um, God had very specific instructions about how to build it. And it's interesting. They had something called the bronze laver. The bronze laver was after they um, slaughtered the sacrifice. They put it on the the altar. They burned on the altar, and then the priest would go to, from there to the bronze laver and wash himself before he went into the outer court and then to the inner. Um, I'm sorry, the inner court and then to the Holy of Holies. So it was a washing basin. And it says this in Exodus 38.8. Bezel made the bronze wash basin and its bronze stand from the bronze mirrors that had been donated by who? The women. Okay. The women donated the mirrors who served at the entrance of the tabernacle. Let me ask you a question. Why didn't the men donate their mirrors? Because they didn't have any. Okay, the women donated the mirrors because they had mirrors. The men didn't donate mirrors because they didn't have any. Why? Because men don't care as much about how they look. Everyone wants to look good, right? Like looking good. I look at the mirror. I want to look good, but I don't spend as much time as my wife does on it. She puts way more time and energy into looking good than I do. Like I get up, do my hair, brush my teeth, I get a pass. Right? She spends a little more time there. Okay. For thousands of years, women have cared more about beauty and put far, far more effort into it than men have. Why? Because innately to us, we are different and we care about different things. There is a reason why um, people in the STEM fields, science, technology, mathematics, engineering. and engineering, there's a reason why like 75% or more are men Men gravitate towards those fields. There's a reason why nurses, teachers, um, and people who work in nonprofit organizations are mostly women. Because men and women are interested in different things. And people might say, that's a, that's a social construct and expectations that we put on people. That is absolutely not true. If you look at the most equal societies in the world, those differences are actually amplified even more. When people have choice of what they can go into, those differences actually are even greater in societies where people have uh, more equal rights. Men and women are different, and we, we reflect different natures of God. 
There are great women scientists, there are great men, nurses, etc. But generally speaking, we have different interests. We care about different things because we're made differently. And it's a reflection of the nature of God. Okay, let me conclude with this. I just want to encourage you. Um, I just want to distill this down to a couple areas. Number one, if you were born male, God has destined you to be a man and to convey a masculine nature to the world. And the world needs it. Whether you're a father or not, I just want to encourage you. This world needs a representation of godly masculinity. If you're a female, whether you're a mother or not, I want to encourage you. You were, you were born a girl. You're destined to be a woman. I want to encourage you. This world needs that feminine nature. There's, it's part of the divine nature expressed to this world, and you need to embrace it. Satan wants to just distill this and take this expression away. <clears throat> so embrace who God has made you to be. Both can certainly be toxic. There's, I suppose there are, is toxic masculinity. That's, and those are typically just insecure men who over whatever... I think that phrase toxic masculinity has been over-exaggerated to just masculine in general. Um, but it can be, certainly be toxic. How many, femini- how many of the feminism can be toxic as well? I mean, look at the Kardashians, right? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I'm just saying, let's hold things in mouth. I'm not suggesting that every girl here has to go out and be ultra-feminine all the time. I'm suggesting every man here has to give himself a big truck, you know, I am saying, right? I am saying embrace godly masculinity, godly femininity. I just want to encourage you with that. Here's a question I want to ask. What do we do as a church? We're we're relatively a young church. We're going to be moving into a new space, hopefully towards the end of this year. What do we do as a church in this cultural environment when someone comes to church, they're, they're dressed as the opposite sex um, than, than they were born with. They're identifying as a different sex than they were born with. This has happened and this will happen. I just want to say this. We are City Lights Church. We want to shine the light and love of Jesus. What are we going to do? We're actually going to show that person kindness. We're going to show them mercy. We're going to show them love. And we want them to get connected to Jesus because how many know when their hearts are transformed by Jesus then God will begin to lead them in truth. And as we afford the opportunity, as we afford influence with them through relationship, we're going to begin to point them to their God-given um, destiny, to their God-given identity in Christ. Their identity in Christ will lead them to who God's created them to be all along. How many know that through sin, corruption came into really every, every sector of society? That's why, we're, that's why people are greedy. That's why people have lust. That's why people have hate. And that's why corruption entered into really humanity's sexuality and humanity's way of identifying to God. So we're going to show kindness. We're going to show love. We're going to show mercy. We're going to take these people to lunch. We're going to love them. And God's going to do miracles. We're not going to compromise on the beliefs. We believe what we believe. And those aren't subject to change. But we are going to um, be City Light Church, light and love to this world. Amen. I want to say also, if you're a parent of a child who identifies as trans or perhaps you yourself um, have a sexual identity struggle, or you have a family member who has a, you know, we all know people in these categories. 
Um, there's a website, a particular website that I do want to point you towards um, that has been of some benefit to me, both for being in ministry and for um, people who need help. Um, there's a website. It's called centerforfaith.com. It's a Christian website. They have solid beliefs, but there's a specific ministry designed to minister to people um, in the LGBTQ community and to support churches who are trying to minister to people in the LGBTQ community as well. I found that to be a great resource. They're uncompromising on the truth, um, but they really um, are able to help with a lot of that. So if that's a resource you need, I just want to point you towards that. So why don't you guys stand your feet this morning? I want to pray for you and... uh, then we'll dismiss. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your design, who you've created us to be from the foundations of the world, Lord. God, I thank you that you've created masculinity. You've created femininity, Lord. You created boys to be men. You created uh, women to be girls. What? Girls to be women. Thank you for that. I was thrown off because I, I said boys to men and I was thinking about the band. I just <laughs> couldn't recover from it. <laughs> boys to men. I was like, just recover, recover. Boys to men. They got it right. Man, who knew? <laughs> who knew? End of the road. All right. All right. Jesus, we love you. God, help me land this plane so I can get out of here and stop messing this up. Uh, Thank you for every person here. We love you. Thank you for you made us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.